Hey, hey, friends, this is Eric, and welcome to Anti-Visions. I'm in the middle of a series called Factor Fiction, composed of short segments, 10 minutes or so, where I read through Thomas Sowell's essay, The Real History of Slavery. Generally, I post one a week, sometimes more, and I'll continue to do so until I've finished reading all the way through. Be sure to look in the notes for the link to his book if you'd like to purchase a copy. Well, let's get started. I hope you enjoy. The Civil War that grew out of tensions over slavery was the bloodiest war ever fought in the Western Hemisphere and cost more American lives than any other war in the country's history. Whether or not those fighting on either side thought of their battles as being over slavery, as distinguished from secession, without slavery, there would have been no secession and no civil war. The states that first seceded were states where slaves were the highest percentage of the population. Contemporary words and deeds by the leaders of the Confederacy made unmistakably clear that slavery was at the heart of their secession and at the heart of the Constitution that they established for their own new government. In later times, as slavery became ever more repugnant to people throughout Western civilization and even beyond, apologists for the South would stress other factors. But the real question is what factor moved Southern leaders when the fateful decision was made to secede. And that was unashamedly, as a Civil War historian put it, slavery. As for the race war that so many had feared, the fact that it did not materialize after emancipation is hardly decisive evidence that the fear was unfounded. During the Civil War, blacks were freed only where Union troops were in occupation of Southern territory, and an army of occupation remained in the South for more than a decade after the Civil War. In the antebellum era, no one on either side of the issue of slavery and emancipation had anticipated that. Even so, the vigilante violence of the Ku Klux Klan and other white terrorists, even while under military occupation, suggests that the potential for a race war was quite real. Among the other examples of anachronistic moral principles being applied in our own times to earlier times have been the many complaints that the Constitution of the United States did not abolish slavery. This was never a viable option because the South would not have remained united with the North if there had been such a clause. The clause would have been an empty symbolic gesture leaving millions still enslaved in the South, but jeopardizing the existence of a vulnerable new country by splitting it in half at the outset. Even had both North and South survived as independent nations, slaves in the South were highly unlikely to have been freed by 1863 when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Would a meaningless clause have been worth the price of condemning even more generations of blacks to slavery? Moral principles cannot be separated from their consequences in a given context. 
Those preoccupied today with the contemporary instrumental use of history have scored many talking points by referring to the Constitution's allowance of additional representation for the South in Congress by counting three-fifths of the slave population in determining the number of congressmen to which the southern states would be entitled. Like many political compromises, this one made no sense except as a means of obtaining agreement in a situation where a dangerous stalemate threatened. The talking point made today is that this political arrangement amounted to saying that a black man was only three-fifths as important as a white man. But would those who say this have preferred that the slave population had been counted as requiring the same representation in Congress as the free? What would have been the consequences? Or do consequences matter to those trying to score points? Since slaves had no voice whatever in the selection of Southern congressmen, counting the slave population at full strength would only have given white Southerners a stronger pro-slavery contingent in Congress. Scoring points today and being serious are two very different things. It should also be noted that the Constitution's distinction in counting people for representation in Congress was between slave and free, not black and white. Free blacks were counted the same as whites, and free blacks existed before the Constitution existed. All right, I'm going to have to come to a stopping point. I know that this is an unusually short segment, but... I'm at a breaking point in the essay where we're about to embark on the next section that discusses the social consequences in different societies and begins to explore slavery in the Islamic world. And uh, I just felt that it's the best place to break here because the ideas are, are so different. So it'll be better to pick up next time and explore those ideas. I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, share it with your friends. Check out the link. Buy Thomas Sowell's book. Get other books by him. Look him up. He's an amazing thinker and his voice needs to be heard. All right. Have a good one and I'll see you next time.